And we're doing a series called Meals with Jesus. And we're looking through Luke's gospel at Meals with Jesus. And we're going to read about one today from Luke chapter 19. And this story goes like this, starting at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Came to seek and save the lost. I don't know if you've ever lost anything or anybody really valuable and important to you. Or I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being lost and then being found. Anybody had that experience? I remember uh, when my daughter Evie started school. She was five years old and my, uh, I was on school drop-off duty. She was just starting and I had my toddler son, Ben, who was 18 months old at the time, with me at school drop-off. It was a highly emotional time. First days of school, you know how you're blowing kisses and you're waving, bye, Evie, bye, 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 hug, see you soon, bye, tonight, well, see you later, alligator, all those things. <laughs> I wave her through the door and I'm thinking, great, off to work, jump in the car and off I drive. I get a mile up the road and I look in my rearview mirror and I see Ben's empty car seat. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> Literally, I don't think I've ever felt this combination of emotions of panic, anxiety, stupidity, <laughs> everything going through my head at the moment. I've left an 18-month-year-old boy by the side of the road, unattended. I literally raced back as fast as I could. I've no idea how many traffic laws I broke. But I got, I was literally getting towards the school and then my phone rang. And I stopped the car and I answered the phone and said, hello, Mr. Hudson, it's the school here. <laughs> I said, hi, hi. I said, just to let you know, we've got your son, Ben, here and he's safe with us. I said, thank you so much. I'm so stupid. I said, thank you so much. I said, I'm so relieved. Thank you. I'll be there in just a minute. I got around the corner and, and they, they explained to me, they said, they said they said, yeah, amazingly, they said, the doors were all locked, but somehow Ben found his way in. <laughs> and we found him wandering through the corridors. And we didn't know who he was, so we just picked him up and we took him from classroom to classroom. <laughs> until your daughter said, well, that's my brother. <laughs> and then we said, so did your mum or your dad bring you to school today? <laughs> As if they needed to ask that question. 
And she, my daughter said, she said, oh, it was my dad. So, so they rang me and she, they said, but he's, he's like, anyway, I, I, I ran in and I grabbed Ben and I hugged him. And I, it was just the most wonderful feeling. He was lost and I, I found him and I said, Ben, don't you ever wander off again. <laughs> but it was a beautiful moment. I thought, I never want this to end. And then they just popped that bubble as the teacher said to me, oh, by the way, we left a voice note on your wife's phone as well. That was me in serious trouble. But he was lost, yet he was reunited. He was found. It was highly emotional. And another story, when I was 11 years old, as I was growing up, we went on a school cross-country run on the South Downs of England where I grew up, a bit I'd never been to before. The last words my teacher uttered as we left the bus were, he said, boys, make sure you're back here for four o'clock, otherwise the bus is going without you. And uh, anyway, cut a long story short, I got totally lost. I got separated from all my friends, everybody. I didn't know where I was. I was running literally all over these hillsides thinking, I've no idea where I am or where I'm going or where the bus is. It was getting dark. It was four o'clock. It was 10 past four. It was quarter past four. I thought, at what point will somebody realize that I'm here or I'm not here? And I sat down and I think I prayed, actually. I thought, what am I going to do? And then I heard the unmistakable sound of a teacher's school whistle. And I started running towards it, blowing incessantly again and again. I ran through some trees and down a a hill, and and there was my school teacher yelling at me and motioning for me to come. And he said, get on the bus, you're late. And I jumped, and I got on the bus, and there was all my schoolmates sort of slow (laughs) hand-clapping me. Woo, well done. But, you know, I didn't care. The emotion of that moment, I was lost, but I was found. Well, Jesus uses this very emotional language to describe this story today, this this moment that Zacchaeus has. I don't think Zacchaeus started this story feeling like a lost person. I don't think if you said, hey, Zacchaeus, you're looking a bit lost, you are lost. He said, no, I'm I'm doing pretty well. But, you know, that's exactly how he'd have described himself at the end, as somebody who was lost yet is found. Now, This language is used many times by Jesus. He talks about a lost coin, a lost son, a lost sheep, all being found as examples of the people furthest away from God being brought into his family. Now, this whole story centers around a moment of divine hospitality, a meal with Jesus. Now, it might interest you to know, if you're into literary styles and techniques, This story is an inverted parallelism. Did you know that? An inverted parallelism. That tells you something. It tells you that I read a book this week. (laughs) But it also tells you an inverted parallelism is where the story is told from the outside in. So it's like the story mirrors itself either side of a central point. And therefore, you're to read the first and the last lines together, the second and the penultimate lines, until you get to the bit in the middle, which is the kind of the whole highlight and moment of the story. And this, this story follows exactly that pattern. And we're going to see that. So uh, it, it starts and ends with Jesus. So the, 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 the story is basically about Jesus. It's about Zacchaeus. And it's about this crowd of people. They're the three big characters. And there's two places. Next slide, please, Josh. There's a tree and there's a house. Okay? So you've got Jesus, Zacchaeus, and a crowd. And you've got a tree and a house. Now, it starts and ends with Jesus. Uh, Next slide, please. And what you see is that it begins with Jesus, and it says Jesus was at Jericho, and he was passing through. 
When you bump into somebody and they just say to you, actually, I'm on my way somewhere else, what do you immediately say to them? Where are you going? Well, when Luke says that, we're immediately meant to think, so where's Jesus going? Why is he so busy that he wants to pass through Jericho rather than do the cultural norm of stopping there and enjoying the hospitality of the town? The chapter before tells us that Jesus said, well, I'm on my way to Jerusalem where I'm going to get killed and where on the third day I will rise again. Jesus was on a mission to the cross for the sins of the world. Now, in the last line, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. It's kind of like a mission statement. So, and that story is about this incident with Zacchaeus. And you think, well, hang on, I thought he was en route to the cross, yet he seems to have got distracted. You know, there's two types of people in this world. There's people who are goal-orientated. If you're a goal-orientated person, put your hand up. Yeah, some people, it's like, it's all about the end result. It's where we're going. And there's other people in this world who, you know, you're, you're about the here and now. Gosh, oh, there's somebody here to talk to. Let me just talk to you for a minute. Where are we going? No idea where we're going. Just want to talk to you for a minute. If you're a kind of here and now, just like loving the people around you, put your hand up. Is that you? That's right. Now, so Jesus is both of these things in perfection. He's all about the mission to the cross, to die for the sins of the world, Yet this isn't a distraction. This is his whole raison d'etre that he looks around him in the moment. He says, well, here's somebody who needs to experience the love of God en route to the cross. His mission was held in perfect balance as he went to pay the ultimate price. So here we go, working from the outside in. It's like an onion, okay? You with me? Yeah. So the outside onion is Jesus. The next layer in is Zacchaeus. And at the, it's like a before and after shot. At the beginning of the story, he's introduced as a tax collector, chief tax collector. He's wealthy. He's regarded as a tax collector. He'd be regarded as being an outcast from Jewish society. He was a, a collaborator with the Roman imposing authority that people regarded as invaders and not legitimate authorities in the land. And this guy was a Jew who had sided with the wrong team. They hated him. He was despised. Now, he had position and power. But perhaps like many whose true true self is hidden by those things, and perhaps like all of us, he's broken on the inside. Because you find that this highly dignified man isn't afraid to run when he needs to, something that rich people would not have done in that day. He's not afraid to climb trees when he needs to because he wants to get near to Jesus. At the end of the story, well, he seems like a different personality altogether. He's the most generous philanthropist you will ever meet. In fact, it's this really sweet bit of uh, of kind of um, New Testament, Middle Eastern kind of literature. When they wanted to show just how much they meant something in that culture, they exaggerated it and made it sound totally ridiculous. So when when we're committed to an idea, if you were to ask a politician in the UK and say, say, how much money are you going to give to the NHS? If they said to you, well, just billions and billions, you'd you'd say, no, no, how much are you going to give to the NHS? Where's the decimal point going to go? Because we don't trust when people exaggerate. In that culture, they didn't believe you unless you did exaggerate. Because it was a way of articulating your heart. If Zacchaeus had said, you know what, I'm going to give a thousand pounds to the poor, people would have said, well, why are you being so exact about it? Is it because your heart's not really in it? So he goes over the top. 
He says, right now, half of everything going to the poor, right now. And if I've cheated only four times, I don't think he's done maths in his head. What he's saying is this, my heart and my life has been changed by Jesus. There's a before and an after. So Jesus, Zacchaeus, next layer in, we meet the crowd, say boo, boo. Okay, so we, we, we meet the crowd, and first of all, they are hostile to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, is, he's just a short guy who's trying to get a good look at Jesus. He's got wealth, he's got position. Normally, those things make way for you in crowds. Not this time, because they don't like him. They're hostile to him. He is blocked by them. He's cancelled by them. He's trying to get through, and they're saying, no, Zacchaeus, for once in your life, we are not going to do what you say. And we are not going to let you see Jesus, even though you want to. They're hostile. We cancel people we see as morally less than us, and they certainly saw him that way. Across the other side of the mirror line in this story, the crowd has turned hostile, but not to Zacchaeus this time. They seem to quite like him, but they're hostile to Jesus. And it's almost like he has absorbed the crowd's hostility to Zacchaeus into himself. He's taken it. In fact, just a few days later, there's going to be another crowd who've witnessed these miracles, and, and they're going to yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Crowds are fickle places. Okay, so you with me so far? We've got Jesus, we've got Zacchaeus, we've got the crowd. Next thing in is a tree. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love it. A tree, a sycamore tree. And at the center of this story is this big bit of wood, a tree. And Zacchaeus goes up a tree and he rushes down a tree. That's what it says. Now, it was a sycamore tree. They had very sort of thick leaves in them. You could easily hide in, a branch, in branches of a sycamore tree. I think Zacchaeus probably wanted to. I don't think he was looking for a quick chat with Jesus. I think he was wanting to observe and to get close. I think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when the Lord came wandering through the garden. It says they hid from him. I think Zacchaeus was hiding. He was inquisitive, yet hidden. He was aware of his shame. But then we come to this remarkable center point in the story. So this is what Luke the storyteller is pointing us towards as we read this story. So this is the most important moment. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So, it says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. It's a moment of divine hospitality. And as with any hospitality, there's a place there's a conversation, and there's food. Now, let's look at those three things. So it says, when Jesus came to the spot, he looked up. And I don't know, Luke wrote this. Luke wasn't there firsthand. He, he, he was not an eyewitness, but Luke wrote his gospel by interviewing people who were there at the time. This tells me that Luke probably interviewed Zacchaeus in later years. And he said, and I think it probably tells us that he went to Jericho and he said, Zacchaeus, could, could you just show me where this happened? He says, here's the spot and here's the tree. Here's the moment. This is when Jesus spoke to me and I was up that tree. 
you're a Christian here today, I wonder if you remember the moment, or the moments when Jesus first started revealing his love to you. Zacchaeus would point to this tree. He'd point to this spot and say, well, this is it. I wasn't expecting it. And it happened. I received unexpected love from Jesus. I wonder what your place was. I know for me, it was a, it was a home economics classroom when I was a teenager. And we were having a lunchtime Bible study in the CU. I've been brought up in a brilliant Christian home. But somebody said, have you ever actually asked Jesus to come into your life and forgive your sins? And I was like, well, no, but they said, would you like to? And I said, well, yeah. And so I did. And Jesus came into my life. It was a moment. I can still remember that very place. I remember the place where I got baptized as a believer. New Life Church, Durrington. I remember the youth group and the crowds around cheering me on as I said, I want to follow Jesus. I remember that lounge where somebody prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I experienced God's love as never before. I wonder where those spots are, where God has revealed himself to you. And it could be that today, this is a spot for you. This could be a place where you think, well, I don't really know Jesus. I'm not really a Christian. Well, today, maybe you're experiencing already the indescribable, undeserved love of Jesus for you. Jewish people would often associate the temple and the most holy place as being the place where God lived, but Jesus seems to redefine it in this story as being a tree, a place on a road, a house. Do you know there's no place where Jesus cannot meet you and I? So there's a place. Secondly, there's a conversation. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Here's a question. How did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Interesting, isn't it? I think there's two possibilities. One is that God the Father told him there's a right sinner called Zacchaeus, and he told Jesus everything about him. Think, not good news. Here's another possibility. When Jesus stopped and looked up at him, the crowd said, Jesus, let us tell you a thing or two about Zacchaeus. Not good news either. Because they would have pointed to him and said, Jesus, look, there he is. There's the traitor. There's the one who hates the people of God. There's the one who's taxing us. There's the one who's cheating us. There's the one who has collaborated with the Romans. Jesus, you're the Messiah. We would like you to execute your judgment starting right here with him. Why don't you call him down and execute judgment as Messiah? Why don't you do that, Lord Jesus? That's what they would have thought and said. Do you know what Jesus did? He said, come down, Zacchaeus. People said, yeah, yeah, this is going well. He says, I'd like to have dinner at your house. The place of judgment becomes the place of grace. Isn't that amazing? The place of judgment becomes the place of grace. Everyone's expecting judgment, but the person deserving judgment experiences the love and the mercy of Jesus and the friendship. Meals meant friendship. We've heard that in previous weeks. When you had food with somebody, he says this, you love them. You want to be friends with them. Which is why some of us in our workplaces prefer to sit at our desk alone eating our sandwiches. It's our way of keeping people at arm's length. But not so Jesus. He 
eats with Zacchaeus. You know, days later, there's another story with another big piece of wood at the center of the story. This time, it's not a tree, it's a cross. And this time, it's not Zacchaeus up that tree, but it's, it's Jesus on that cross. It's a change of roles. It's a change of positioning. And yet, there's another crowd at the bottom. And there's not somebody saying, hurry down. There's a crowd saying, Jesus, if you're really who you say you are, then we demand that you come down and prove it right now. And Jesus refuses. He doesn't hurry down. He remains on the cross for hours until he utters the words, it's finished. Two Corinthians five verse twenty one describes what happened on the cross this way that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Divine hospitality means divine exchange. We receive God's gift of righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness. This is what Jesus was acting out Zacchaeus in the moment. And in that conversation, you know when people who love you, they don't give you an option about stuff? Have you ever had that? Have you ever had a good friend who said, I, I must talk to you about this. I must. And if you value that friendship, you'd sit down and say, well, please, can you tell me what you're feeling? Well, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I must. I must come to your house today. Such is his commitment in love to him and to us. So here's the final thing, the food. The place, the conversation, the food. Anybody else frustrated? We're not told what they had for dinner. <laughs> We're not told if it was um, hummus and chips or whether it was vegan or vegetarian. Or what. Perhaps that's helpful. Perhaps that's deliberate. Because maybe the attention isn't meant to be on what they had that day. Maybe... The point is this, that all of these layers of the onion are pointing to the fact that this divine moment of fellowship that Jesus had with Zacchaeus is the most precious thing of all. And it tells us three very simple things. That, Firstly, that Jesus wasn't afraid to associate with, simple, with, with sinful people. He's not afraid to associate with people like you and me. You know, people tend to watch their company, don't they? Politicians watch who they share a stage with. If you're a celebrity in the jungle, you tend to be very interested in who's in the jungle with you, lest that says something about you. But Jesus doesn't seem to care. He doesn't care what people are saying. In fact, somebody once said, in Luke's gospel, Jesus got himself killed because of the way he ate. Yet Jesus didn't care because he came to associate with sinful people and to help them. And it says that this amazing thing. He says, Zacchaeus says, come quickly down the tree, for I must stay at your house today. The word stay, it, it means to basically stay for a prolonged period, possibly forever. That's kind of how that word would be used in the New Testament. You might have expected Jesus to say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down, I want a word. But no, the Son of God says, Zacchaeus, I want to stay with you for a long, long time. Such is God's commitment to sinful people, to people filled with shame. 
Here's the second thing that this absence of food on offer seems to point to, and it's this, it's the real food on offer. Jesus said this in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is pointing to himself through this whole story, through its many layers. And here's the third thing that simplicity points to. It's a personal moment. It's a simple moment. It's a moment away from the crowds with all of their questions and all of their yelling and all of their, the things that, that, that perplex and, and kind of distract. Jesus wants an alone moment with you and with me, as he does with Zacchaeus. I was reading a bit of the story of Terry Waite, the ex-hostage, yesterday. And fascinating thing, he, he was held hostage in the Middle East for four years, 1987 to 1991. He was chained to a wall and blindfolded the whole time. And he was finally released. And, of course, the, the media in the UK went absolutely berserk. Everybody wanted an interview. The crowds were kind of there to meet him at the airport, all of those things. Obviously, he had been in solitary confinement for years, hadn't seen for years, Hadn't had freedom for years. It was all too much. A bit of the story that came to light very recently was this, that Queen Elizabeth got in touch with him and said, why don't you come and stay at Balmoral? And he got flown in a helicopter over the UK to Balmoral. And he arrived and he was told, just stay as long as you like. The place is yours. And he said, I went in this house and there was a kitchen with a fridge just filled with food. He said, and I, I, I could talk to people or not talk to people. He said, he said over that time, I, I, I built a, a friendship with the queen. Nobody ever really knew about this. <laughs> away from the crowds, away from all the questions. I wonder today if there's many questions, many things in your head. Today, I wonder if Jesus is saying to you, come away with me. Come, eat with me. Come have fellowship with me. We navigate such a complex maze of relationships and problems in our lives. Leave those aside. Accept the invitation to be with Jesus. A couple of closing thoughts as we reflect on these verses. Maybe you don't know Jesus today. Maybe you're here for the first time. Here's the wonderful and obvious thing about this story, that Jesus is deeply interested in individuals like you and me. There's a hand of friendship being open to us. And he offers us not just earthly food, but eternal life. And it's a very simple invitation that we do well to say yes to. The good news of Jesus isn't a code of conduct. It's not a morality checklist. It's about a friendship that could change our lives more than we would ever imagine and change all of our behaviors and all of our thoughts and all of our beliefs because that's the power of friendship. But it could be you're a Christian here today, you're a part of Kings or another church. What can we learn from these verses? Well, here's an obvious one. We must learn to love and enjoy the gospel. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that you and I are friends with God because of what Jesus has done for us? 
Somebody said this, grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Gratitude evokes grace like the voice and echo. Gratitude follows grace and thunder as thunder follows lightning. You know, when we're not understanding and living in the grace of God, when Christianity has just become a to-do list of stuff, the first thing to go is gratitude. And we start to get moany about stuff. And we start to think, oh, work's so hard, and life's so hard, and family's so hard, and church is so hard, and small group's so hard, and everything's so hard. You know, life could be really hard. But when you know that you're, you've been forgiven for your sins and given eternal life and been made part of the family of God, represented in a non-perfect family called the church, it begins to cheer you up and you begin to get very grateful. Perhaps we need to move back into the center zone of appreciating grace again. Jesus announced that salvation had come to this house. He didn't commend Zacchaeus because he'd followed the law of Moses, but because he was the son of Abraham. That meant this. He said, oh yeah, he's like Abraham. He's somebody who believed God for the impossible. We get to fellowship with God because God did something that we could not do to bring us into his family. Here's the second and final thought. That we, by showing love, this, by knowing that showing love and hospitality has little to do with how good your cooking is or how tidy your home is or how together your life is. We learn from this story that it's about association with those on the outside. It's knowing that your best food is really Jesus. It's being simple yet kind. It centers on acts of unexpected love to people who are undeserving and non-expectant of it. It's about taking initiative just as Jesus did, not just responding to needs. It's a love that chooses not to hurry and keep marching on, but stops and says, well, maybe this is the point of why I'm here, even if that means we cancel whatever else is in our diary for that day. Quote from Tim Chester to close. Jesus ate meals. If you routinely share meals and have a passion for Jesus, then you'll be doing mission. It's not that meals save people. People are saved through the gospel message. But meals will create natural opportunities to share that message in a context that resonates powerfully with what you're saying. Let's stand together. Let's take a moment to just be thankful to God for his grace shown to us. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll sing just, uh, just briefly as we close the meeting. Let's pray together. I just want to give you a moment to respond to God's divine offer of hospitality. I say it could be that you're here today and You just think, well, I just feel more loved than I've ever felt right now. And that's because Jesus loves you. And Jesus is calling you. And Jesus is speaking to you. I'm just going to pray a prayer that, if that's you, you can pray this in your heart with me. To, bring, to ask Jesus to come into your life, to open your home to him. 
Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.